This is Melissa Harrison with the Religion Unplugged podcast. And on February 14th, President Joe Biden signed an executive order reestablishing the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. Now, this is an office that was largely ignored by the Trump administration. Biden has appointed Melissa Rogers to be executive director. She served in the same role in the Obama administration. Joining me now to talk about this is Chelsea Langston Bombino, columnist for Religion Unplugged and program officer with the Fetzer Institute and fellow with the Center for Public Justice. Thank you for being with us, Chelsea. Thank you for having me, Melissa. So tell us about this office. It was originally created by President George W. Bush two decades ago. Um, what was the purpose of it? In the 90s, there was a realization among many, including the Clinton administration, that faith-based organizations, in addition to community-based organizations of all faiths and spiritual backgrounds and none, played a really important role in helping people thrive. There was some innovative programs that were happening in the 90s that demonstrated that faith-based organizations and community-based organizations were really key to helping individuals transition to kind of whole person-centered flourishing in a community, in a faith community, in a network of support in a neighborhood, um, in a vocational path that gave them financial sustainability for their families. And at this point, there was lack of clarity within the legal system at the federal government level, especially around whether faith-based organizations could legally partner with government and maintain their faith basis. So during welfare reform, there was a provision passed called charitable choice, which made it clear that faith-based organizations could compete on an equal basis with secular organizations and maintain their faith-based identity. This really gave birth to um, some executive orders and regulations passed under the George W. Bush administration called the equal treatment rules or the equal treatment principles, which basically said it was very important to protect both the religious freedom of faith-based providers that were often best situated to partner with government to deliver services, but it was also equally important to protect the religious freedom of services recipients. So if a faith-based organization was going to partner with government in the administration of social services, that faith-based organization should be able to maintain, for example, their faith-based staffing standards um, that, you know, often that faith-based identity is really important to the organization in living out its mission. But for government-funded social services, that organization had to commit to serving everyone eligible for that service and not discriminate based on faith and not, for example, connect um, prayer or other explicitly religious activities with the government administered um, social services if that was administered through a grant, for example. Uh, That's a little bit about the framework that led the George W. Bush administration to instituting the White House Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives, and importantly, the centers, so the versions of these initiatives within um, most major federal agencies. So the liaisons, the centers serve as liaisons between the federal agency. So for example, housing and urban development or education or justice 
and faith-based and community-based organizations. So that started in the early 2000s with the Bush administration and continued with some changes and improvements even, and some things that more orthodox faith traditions would view as maybe challenges under the Obama administration. Yeah, I, I was reading about that in your column. What were some of those challenges that they, or things they struggled with that happened under the Obama administration? So some of Obama's, what I would say commendable personally work in advancing LGBT rights in terms of executive orders often um, created challenges for faith-based organizations and at best ambiguity about whether um, their staffing practices, which might limit their capacity to, for example, hire someone in a same-sex marriage, um, how that would square with the LGBT non-discrimination regulations that the Obama administration was moving forward. Um, another major area of challenge was around um, the Affordable Care Act's preventative coverage, um, which is good that preventative care is covered, um, but that opened the question of employers covering contraceptive coverage for women. Um, and for many uh, faith-based employers, um, for example, um, Catholic organizations, the kind of quintessential example was the Little Sisters of the Poor. There was a question about, um, this was just against their religious beliefs to offer and pay for contraceptive coverage for female employees. And so those are the types of issues that under the Obama administration writ large came up. So what happened to the office over the past four years under the Trump presidency? So um, a few years ago, the Trump administration did announce that they were going to create an office called the Office of Faith and Opportunity in the White House. But there was a major shift. The shift was that under the Obama administration, this office had been situated in the Domestic Policy Council, which is not just symbolic. It shows that um, this office, for example, under the last part of Obama's administration, which was run by Melissa Rogers, really had policy substance, something to contribute on a policy level, upholding the equal treatment rules, engaging in church-state issues, thinking about the impact of how faith-based organizations would be able to participate and really core social issues um, that had policy um, components that needed to be upheld so faith-based organizations could compete on an equal basis, for example. Under the Trump administration, the White House Office um, of Faith and Opportunity was moved to the Office of Public Liaison, which is an office that is predominantly focused on public outreach and community outreach, which is important that there's a faith component, um, but that was the extent of the, the formal um, role. There was no formal faith-based and community-based office in the Domestic Policy Council under Trump. And um, Paula White was um, appointed to that office rather late in the Trump administration. So we're talking uh, in the Trump administration, these announcements were made years into the administration, as opposed to Biden setting the tone in the first less than 90 days, really in the first 30 days, he has reestablished the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships and appointed Melissa Rogers as the executive director. Um, maybe the right language is actually reinvigorated or even reimagined because there are a few important changes to note um, in her role and in the office's role in general, as opposed to the Obama administration structurally. So one is that 
Um, the office actually now has staff in both the Domestic Policy Council. So this is led by Melissa Rogers. And importantly, there's a deputy director. So it's important that they're staffing up mm -hmm. in the um, in the public liaison office. So they're mm -hmm. keeping this thing that they recognize did have some value that the Trump administration maybe started, which is having a formal role in the office of public liaison. But there, there's a recognition that the role of faith-based and secular community-based nonprofits are so important in this country that there should be community and public outreach and there should be real public policy and substance representation. So Melissa Rogers has been appointed as the executive director and she's been named um, an important person who is doing official work at the intersection of faith and public policy on church state issues throughout the administration. So this is, I think, a really important um, and productive um, change and shift. I think that the appointment of Melissa Rogers signals to a lot of people across the political and religious and spiritual spectrum that she is someone that can be trusted um, just across the board. She's someone who has um, a depth of knowledge and understanding, who has worked well with people with whom she has theological and ideological and political agreements, policy disagreements for years. She really cares about hearing all voices. Um, she recently authored a report that Brookings released. Um, right. This came out before the election, right? It did. Um, yeah. And how significant, what, was the, what were the findings in that report? How significant is this report? Melissa Rogers and the report's co-author, E.J. Dion, who is also um, a public thought leader in the space, um, listened to voices across administrative um, roles. So they listened to people who had served in the Bush administration, in the Obama administration, I believe, who had also served or at least advised in the Trump administration. And they tried to hear what was working about what the White House offices were doing. And importantly, what the um, uh, partnerships offices within the agencies were doing. And it's really important to not underestimate the role of those agency offices. They're the folks that actually administer the funding, the agencies themselves do, the White House doesn't. And they're really the role to connect specific faith-based organizations doing specific work in education or justice or health and human services. Um, so the report highlighted that role, of the, the important role of the agencies. It really recommended that the White House Partnerships Office have that domestic policy council component it did call out that it was important for um, the next administration at the time it was unsure who that would be to be aware that there would have to be real thought work being done and substantive work for the next administration on, for example, how to hold together the important goals of LGBT rights with the important goals of um, upholding constitutional freedoms. But the report was less didactic than perhaps many um, religious conservatives would have liked it to be in terms of saying, what is a path forward? Um, there's substantive disagreement about what that path forward is. We saw that last week with the introduction of the Equality Act, which does so many important things in terms of protecting vulnerable LGBT communities. We still do not have federal legislation that does that. And there has been advocacy for that for basically 40 plus years now. If that act were to pass, 
um, there would be a lot of challenges. Um, and there's a lot of questions about what it would mean if the Equality was, Act was passed in terms of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So those are questions that really the, the Biden administration is going to have to continue to grapple with and that um, religious or political conservative leaders who might have challenges and real questions for the Biden administration are still really asking um, in terms of how this new office in the White House is going to be part of common ground solutions to those types of questions that many of us have been asking for a long time. In your column, you also quote um, Dr. Stanley Carlson Thies, who's the founder and senior director of the Institutional Religious Freedom Alliance. And he told you, quote, the new White House office faces a challenging task of leadership in our time of heightened polarization, greater religious diversity and expanding secularism and the great controversy over how religious freedom will be protected as LGBTQ rights are extended. What do you think uh, are some of his greatest concerns? This is actually great timing. So just today, um, my colleague Stanley is, um, he also served, I should say, in the White House under the Bush administration um, in this office. And then he has gone on to advise every presidential administration since then, including the current one, um, in this way. So he just released a new article today um, and he calls out something really important. He says, um, the Biden executive order barely mentions the centers for faith-based and neighborhood partnerships that exist in some dozen federal agencies and help the agencies engage with and support civil society organizations to improve the effectiveness of federal services. These centers were integral to the partnership initiative from the start because the agencies and not the White House award funds to private organizations and design programs of service. Fortunately, though, as he mentions, Melissa Rogers is familiar with how indispensable the role of these centers are. So that's just one area where yeah. um, Stanley's kind of cued in to um, continuing to um, both commend and challenge, and he's done this with every administration, um, the ways in which the administration can continue to call out maybe things that aren't well understood um, in the general public. Um, many, especially if you think about smaller faith-based organizations, um, local churches, especially I'm aware that so many um, faith communities led by people of color in this country um, just face in enormous inequities, including even um, access to these offices. So it's important to really raise up that it's not just one person or two people at the White House that they can reach out to, but depending on the social service they're providing or the issue that they're working on in their community, whether that's education or um, economic empowerment or um, uh, food service programs for school lunches. There are specific agencies that might be a good fit to reach out to in those circumstances. And the agency centers, these partnership centers, are really trying to both learn from local faith-based and community-based organizations and to empower these organizations through financial and non-financial partnerships to thrive in their communities. And, and you were saying, I mean, to your point, they really have staffed up here. I mean, they're, they're putting the resources there with Josh Dixon, He's going to be the office's deputy director. He previously served as the National Faith Engagement Director. Um, and he played a role in, as the faith outreach campaign for Biden in the election. 
Um, what do you think he really brings to the table to really help Melissa Rogers in this effort as well? He's very literate in a um, kind of an evangelical conservative background, which I do think is important in the Biden administration, given that um, we know so many people, um, we, we're going to feel this kind of tension. But the fact that Josh comes from that background, understands um, that community, is literate, you know, across the religious spectrum, has really engaged thoughtfully with Black church leaders, with Muslim leaders, with Hispanic leaders, um, with Jewish leaders, et cetera. Um, I have a lot of hope that he has really good intentions about continuing to engage um, with goodwill. Um, for those communities um, and continuing to try to create channels and structures that make engagement easy. Um, so um, already seeing some regular opportunities for faith engagement from the office, um, seeing structures that are put in place that invite input that make clear um, and kind of like lift the veil on accessibility. Um, I think that he has a lot of um, mobilization from the campaign that is now translating into community engagement. And I think he's equally committed to um, bringing in people who weren't necessarily Biden supporters. Um, and I think that's just the place where there's going to need to be extra consciousness from everyone serving in the White House office for faith-based neighborhood partnerships and the centers. The questions have already shifted from goodwill to substance, I will say, which is a testament to Biden's commitment. Um, but now that those um, more conservative faith groups know that the Biden administration is saying that they're welcome at the table. Those groups have often already shifted to asking the hard questions. So that's where I think the rubber will kind of hit the road, which is in many ways like a testament to this administration already, like in the first 30 to 60 days, we've seen that the conversation just isn't kind of stagnant at no one's listening to us or we're not invited to the table but it has shifted to, they're saying we're invited. Are they actually living that out? And what does that look like? Yeah, it's a, they have a lot of work in front of them, but it is impressive what they've done so far. What do you think, just kind of in conclusion, uh, what do you think we should be watching out for going forward um, from Biden in these faith-based and place-based partnerships? That's a great question. I would really hope that he upholds that the Biden administration, and I'm confident with Melissa, they will. So I think it's really important that both faith-based and secular community-based organizations are not asked to fully conform to government values. And an example from several years ago was actually a secular organization. So under the Obama administration, um, Open Society um, was asked to commit to a stance uh, that the federal government was advancing under the Obama administration that essentially said, um, if you're receiving government funding, it doesn't matter whether or not you're receiving funding for this area, you have to agree with our view. And the view in that case was um, sex work should always be illegal. If you're doing work internationally, if you're advocating that sex work be legalized in any way um, and regulated, that is against the government's view. And my colleague, Dr. Carlson Thies, actually came out to say, do we want to make all organizations, secular or faith-based, agree with government as a precondition for partnering with government? Here was a case where the government funding was not to support the legalization of sex work, it was to do other work. Should we only partner with organizations that agree with all the policies of the U.S. government? 
But if government's going to partner with diverse organizations to serve diverse communities, um, we should look for kind of unity in the things that are essential in providing excellent services in providing community trust and being held accountable and engaging in best practices and financial transparency. But when it comes to asking questions about if a faith-based or secular organization has every value that aligns with government, we also have to remember that government is not values neutral. It's important to allow kind of diverse spiritually based and faith-based and secular organizations to come to the table and compete based on who has the best services and programs um, and impact in the community. That's so interesting. We'll be interested in following you and your columns as we learn more. And thank you so much for joining me today. This is Chelsea Langston Bombino. She's columnist for Religion Unplugged and Program Officer with the Fetzer Institute and fellow with the Center for Public Justice. And you can read Chelsea's columns on our website at religionunplugged.com. This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by Melissa Tamplin Harrison, edited and produced by Peter Freeby. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at religionmag.com.